We're going to be looking at, uh, it's going to take us a few weeks. We'll have to skip next week since we're, meetings are going to be uh, next week. But uh, we're going to look at verses 12 through 19, but not all of them tonight. But let's look at verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now, how should the believer respond to suffering? The word suffering and various forms are used 21 times in this epistle. Uh, Peter has a lot to say about suffering. Um, Nero was the ruler at that time. He was having Christians covered with tar and burned at the stake to light up his garden. You think things are bad now. Uh, wouldn't you have liked to live during Nero's day? I don't think so. But you know, uh, it's been bad various times in history. This was one of those bad times. And uh, no doubt uh, people were thinking, well, the Lord's coming soon, right? Uh, he's got to be. Things are so bad that the Lord's got to be coming. Well, that was what? Almost 2,000 years ago. And, he's, uh, and we might think, well, the Lord must be coming soon because things are so bad in our country now. Well, uh, I think we have to a look at the perspective of what's happened down through history. These Christians needed to hear that suffering was a part of the will of God. And uh, they should not be shocked by it. They also needed to understand how to respond to it. And how should we respond when we're mocked by friends or, uh, or neighbors or someone that we work with for our belief system? How should we respond when some... Times even our families don't understand us. Well, Peter talks about that in this passage. It's good to remember that it was Peter who, had, uh, at the possibility uh, of suffering for Christ, had denied Christ himself in uh, his greatest hour. And yet now this uh, apostle is not only willing to suffer, but is preparing other believers to suffer as well. Christ told him that he had returned from his denial, uh, that he must strengthen the brethren. And that's what he's doing in this, this letter. He's trying to strengthen uh, the brethren. So the first thing we notice here is don't be surprised 
at suffering. That's verse 12. Don't be surprised. Think it not strange. Why would a believer be surprised at painful trials? Well, it seems that many of the Christians in this context were surprised. They were shocked. They thought it strange that the suffering they were going through. And yet Peter says they should not be surprised. They should not be shocked by this painful trial. The word fiery, fiery trial means a burning and I've already mentioned how that uh, uh, Nero uh, was known for uh, burning Christians, uh, burning them at the stake, using them as, uh, as uh, lights in his garden. Well, during Christ's ministry, he spent a large time not telling his disciples that, uh, uh, not only telling his disciples that they, they would suffer, but he was trying to prepare them to suffer as well. John 15, 18 says, If the world hates you, ye, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Uh, if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the, the world hateth you. Uh, Christ said, If you belong to the world, it will love you. Uh, but uh, since you do not belong to the world, that's why they hate you. Now, this kind of takes us back to the beginning of the, the epistle in chapter 1 where Peter called a believers strangers scattered uh, and, and, and we're strangers, we're aliens, we're not a part of this world as believers. We're different uh, and that's why we're hated. Uh, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So everyone who's walking for Christ, seeking to live a godly life, will be persecuted. We should expect that. And therefore, don't be surprised when it comes. Uh, your life, if you're living for the Lord, it should be a holy life. That will oftentimes prick and expose the sin of the world and uh, kind of gets people upset uh, gets them angry, uh, makes them to have animosity toward you. Well, we need to be prepared for that suffering. It reminds us that we truly are aliens and strangers, and pilgrims in this world. So, have you experienced that suffering? How did you respond to it? So don't be surprised at suffering. Secondly, don't be surprised, but do rejoice in suffering. That's what we see here in verse 13 and 14. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Believers must respond to suffering by rejoicing in it. You say, well, that doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound joy, uh, joyful to be suffering, to experience pain. Uh, that's one of those paradoxes of the Bible. Uh, how can we rejoice when we're going through such difficulty and such trial? Well, we can get a picture of this with Paul and Silas in jail. Acts chapter 16, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, made their feet fast in the stocks, and at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. They rejoiced. 
They were in prison, in stocks. They were praying, singing hymns. You know, oftentimes, and some of you have been to the prisons, haven't seen anything like that there, have you? Any prisoners in stocks? Uh, and uh, usually they have a TV. They have three good meals a day at least. They have nice beds. They have playtime out in the yard. Uh, have, they have it pretty, uh, pretty good. And uh, you can imagine what Paul, Silas, they were thrown into a prison that uh, uh, didn't smell good. Uh, they didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have, you know, they, it was hot. There were probably some ants and maggots and, and rats running around. I wonder, could we sing, praise God, in those conditions? Well, how do you rejoice in that situation? Why? Uh, what reasons does Peter give for rejoicing? If, if that's what we're to do, what are the reasons? What does it mean practically? Well, first of all, the believer can rejoice because it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. That's what he says in verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. The first reason we can rejoice is because Scripture teaches us it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. Philippians 1.29, Paul said, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. He says the same way we have been granted grace to believe Christ, We've also been granted grace to suffer for his name. Uh, again, if we look at uh, Acts and the apostles in Acts 5.41, it says they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. The apostles, after being abused and told they could no longer speak in the name of Christ, they left rejoicing because uh, they counted it, uh, they were worthy to be suffering this disgrace for Christ. Uh, uh, scripture teaches us it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And that word in their fellowship is a word uh, which means to have common with. Paul says, I want to know Christ, but I also want to have in common with him uh, in his sufferings. Uh, the disciples, uh, for them to dis participate in the sufferings of Christ, it, was, uh, it meant to be like him and to look like him, and when, uh, which should be the hope of every true disciple. Now, many Christians have no suffering because they don't, Act or look like Christ. For a disciple, the ultimate desire is to be like a ma their master. And our master suffered for righteousness. The scripture teaches us it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. Secondly, we can rejoice because we will be rewarded at Christ's second coming. Verse 13 goes on to say that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy the second reason to rejoice. Peter says you should be 
overjoyed when his glory is revealed, essentially uh, talking about his second coming. Well, why would we be overjoyed? Well, again, Scripture constantly proclaims that at Christ's coming, it will not only be a time of judgment for the lost, but it will be a time of reward for the faithful. In Revelation 22:12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to, as his work shall be. And so uh, that's a reason for us to be overjoyed at his coming. In fact, it seems that one of the major reasons Christians will be rewarded is based on their sufferings for Christ. If we look in, back again in, in Mark, and uh, Mark chapter 10, remember when James and John were asking if they could sit at the right hand of his kingdom. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on the right hand and the other on the left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup which I drink of, or, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? He was asking him, uh, can you drink the cup and have the baptism? He was talking about the cup of suffering. Uh, Jesus, said, take, uh, Jesus said to God, take this cup, but nevertheless, thy will be done. Uh, he also talked about the, his baptism of death. Seems that by referring to the cup of suffering, uh, the, after the disciples asked for exaltation, the exaltation in is the proper reward for suffering. And we can see that in other passages. In Matthew chapter 5, and verses 11 and 12, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4 also talks about uh, in verse 16 through 18, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Looking for those things that are uh, not seen, the eternal. Revelation 2.10, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Uh, behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, and you shall be tried, and you shall have tribulation. Ten days, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And there's the reward. So we suffer uh, because we'll be rewarded. Thirdly, uh, a believer can rejoice because uh, the Spirit of the God rests upon us during trials. Verse 14 says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. There are several reasons or things that uh, explain this. The spirit of glory of God resteth on you. What does that mean? First of all, it means a closeness in the presence of God. Uh, the spirit of glory rests on us when we suffer for Christ. Peter was kind of giving a, a picture of the glory cloud that resided over the tabernacle and met uh, the Jews at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. 
Exodus chapter 24, verse 16, the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai. Moses had entered into that glory and, and, and spoke to God face, and, face to face. Another example would be Stephen in Acts chapter 7. But Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. Even as Stephen was being stoned, he sees the glory of God in the heavens, Christ sitting on the right hand of God. And so he was experiencing a closeness to God. You see it also in Hebrew, or in uh, Daniel chapter 3 with the Hebrew children, uh, the Hebrews that were put into the fiery furnace. While they were into the fire, a person looked like the Son of God, shows up and protects them. So in suffering, the Spirit of glory rests on us. Secondly, we're changed into His image. Not only does the Spirit of glory rest on us mean His presence, His closeness, but it means that we'll be changed in such a way to reflect the glory of God. Moses' face shined so much that the people had to cover their faces because it was so bright. Stephen um, uh, looked like an angel, they said, in the face of his accusers. So it's for this reason that James tells believers to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials. See, in the midst of these trials, God develops into us his image and matures us. The glory of God starts to shine more in our lives as we persevere through these trials. We can rejoice in that. Uh, thirdly, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Certainly that's the truth we see with Paul being tormented by the thorn in the flesh, God promised that his grace would be made perfect in weakness. He was made strong while he was weak. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In weakness, Paul says, the power of Christ rested upon him. In fact, uh, the imagery, imagery is uh, used throughout the Old Testament as the Spirit came upon people to do great things for God. So we can rejoice in that. And then fourthly, uh, we have relief or refreshment is given to us. The word resteth here means to give relief, refreshment, intermission from toil. It describes one of uh, the Holy Spirit's ministries. Refreshment comes on those believers who suffer for the sake of the Savior and the gospel. The Spirit gives them grace, gives them uh, the ability, the, uh, the endurance, and the understanding and even the fruit in various uh, ways of his goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is given to us in Galatians 5. So what ways have you experienced the Spirit of glory in the midst of trial? Well, that's where we're going to leave off tonight. But uh, I think that's enough for us to chew on. And uh, trust that uh, we'll understand what God is trying to accomplish in us when, even when we go through uh, trials.